0: good morning and thank you for listening my name is march twisdale and i'm the producer and host of prose poetry and purpose today i'll be talking with crystal chisel about the new york times best-selling book drawdown the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming if you're listening right now on 101.9 fm then it's just about 11 a.m on a saturday or a sunday morning But perhaps you're tuning in from Iceland, California, Denmark, or somewhere else in the world via the podcast page on my website, MarchTwisdale.com. No matter how you've arrived, we're glad you're here, and thank you so much for joining us. Now on to the show. So, Crystal, hello. How are you?
1: Hello, March. I'm doing well.
0: Could you go ahead and really quickly give our listeners just sort of a sense of sort of who you are, what you do?
1: Yes, I'm manager of of engagement at Project Drawdown, and we'll be talking a lot more about what is Project Drawdown. So I am talking with people who contact us for more information or wanting to connect with others, generally helping the organization to run smoothly. It's a team effort.
0: <laughs> all right, okay, all right. You and your team are why we are here. Okay, so all right, folks, so let's see here. I'm looking at a book. It's a pretty big book. Gorgeous. It's white and all the lettering is in blue, like there's clouds in the background and everything. It's called Drawdown. Then tell us a little bit. Um, if I understand correctly, it's a bit of a unusual thing for a book on this topic to do so well on the New York Times bestseller list. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I think the book is doing well because it's filling a need that existed that wasn't being filled. And so what it's doing is providing a plan for reversing global warming. The subtitle of the book, The Most Comprehensive Plan Ever Proposed to Reverse Global Warming, that's kind of a lofty um, (laughs) statement. But actually, we didn't come up with the plan. The plan was already existing. Humanity had come up with the plan. We say that it's the most comprehensive plan ever proposed because, to our knowledge, a plan had not yet been proposed. So there were pieces of a plan existing out there, and what we attempted to do was bring it all together.
0: To be honest... I just have this layperson, I think, viewpoint that there's these governments out there and these scientists and they're all sort of talking and there's these Paris Accord thingies happening and and there's like all these people out there, like, you know, up there in the blogist, I don't know, the something sphere, who <laughs> are, I would have imagined, are coming up with a plan. So the Paris Accord and all those things that we hear about in the media, there's not actually like a plan out there that's been proposed or is being discussed in any concrete detail? I don't want to
1: make it sound like we are totally unique or that we invented solutions to global warming. There is multitudes of research and effort happening out there. Our executive director is Paul Hawken, who's a fairly well-known environmentalist and best-selling author. And he, about 10 years ago, started asking the question, what's the plan? Mm -hmm. Can we turn this around What's the plan, and wasn't actually finding an answer, so that's where the idea for project drawdown was born, so
0: okay, okay, so so you're saying, like roughly about ten years ago or so was would, it would make sense to me that a lot of people around two 2000- thousand. Nine two 2008, whatever, would be sort of getting the clue that this was really, really happening and it was mm-hmm. definitely not this maybe it's going to happen thing. And so he started asking the question and and there was, okay, okay. So that led to apparently a bunch of activity which resulted in what we currently have is like the first issue of this book, this collection of information. How about you tell us all How, what, what makes this book different from the avalanche of books that are out there that are, that I think of a lot of people feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling overwhelmed, that are all about, you know, change this light bulb and don't eat that. And just, it almost feels like there's too much to grasp, handle, or respond to. What makes this book unique and different? Well,
1: The first thing that's different about it is that it's intended to reframe the conversation around global warming. So in the book Drawdown, we use language that's clear and accessible to anyone. It avoids jargon. It's something that you could read on a Sunday afternoon at the park and still have an enjoyable day. It has... Um,
0: Meaning there's minimal gloom and doom. Exactly. Okay.
1: Okay. The message of it is possibility and opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we find that when people, so most of the messaging about, around global warming has been focused on the threat and the negative consequences. And this promotes fear in people's minds. They mm-hmm. see the And this is true for me as well. We start to see the problem as too big to solve and as hopeless. So then we just become apathetic. There's nothing I can do. I should just enjoy my life until the world ends. That kind of thinking.
0: I have so so been there.
1: (laughs) So what we want to do is kind of is reframe the conversation and change the global conversation around global warming to focus on possibility, and a message that's empowering to people. And we have to begin by speaking a new vision into being,
0: Mm -hmm. not
1: just the vision of the end of the world.
0: Do you know who George Monbiot is? I do not. An incredible writer, um, writes for The Guardian um, very frequently. uh, The back page of The Guardian will be like an article by him. Uh, last name is Monbiot, as I pronounce it wrong, because I can't speak French or whatever language Mm -hmm. it is. It's M-O-N-B-I-O-T, for people out Mm -hmm. there who are interested. He recently wrote an article where he was promoting the concept that we need a new narrative. Yeah. That we have basically several thousand years of the same functional narrative, leading to the same repetitive results in human uh, culture, society, and interaction and um it was brilliant how he worded it um because i think that's that's it's so it's it's so important that we remember the power of our psyche over our behavior
1: yes that's exactly right
0: you know i mean well how did we get to the moon we didn't sit around and 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 put i don't think we put as much focus on ooh, those scary other people over there are going to do it first. I know that was part of the narrative, but I think a lot of it was the enthusiasm, the excitement, and the motivation of this, this exploration. You know, think of Star Trek, right? So, you know, we got excited about what we were going to do rather than being just in a place of fear. I'm pretty sure they've proven that fear does not lead to really great outcomes in the human species. <laughs> That's right. Okay.
1: Okay. But, yeah, so along those lines, another thing that we do is we avoid military language and dualistic language so we're not fighting climate change we're not in a battle we're not trying to win a war but rather we're wanting to bring forth a message that we will collaborate and we're going to bring human society back into balance with our planet
0: that is such a okay so um full disclosure the book showed up at my house last night And so, um, as I already told you, I have been able to only do some reviewing of this incredible book. I will be sitting around very soon this weekend flipping through this huge book. So I want to describe it a little bit to everyone out there who's listening right now. You're going to hear the pages flipping. Um, So there are a lot of photos in this book. It is large. It is, um, oh goodness, like a cookbook large size as far as um, what, like, 12 inches by 8 inches or something. But when you, you know, when you hold a book up to the edge and you can see the the, the edge of all the pages, lots of greens and blues and colors in here, because there's so many photos. And so it, it makes it feel good. The images, did you, you guys intentionally made these feel good images, right?
1: Yes, these were very carefully curated images.
0: Right. <laughs> Right, right, right. So I'm looking at a a picture of um, someone in a really funky, interesting New Age um, automobile, and then suddenly there's a beautiful sea lion looking at you, and then there's goats sitting around eating, you know, the weeds or whatever. I mean, yeah, so so I get it. It doesn't look like a scary gloom and doom book. And um, I also like it that there's, um, you know, People, when you get a book and it's got like little sections of the page that regularly will produce some information or a statistic and, you know, it's, well, so there's like, um, what is this? What's going on with this? Ranking and results by 2050, number 61, number 31. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what that is.
1: Okay. Well, um, i love to answer that question, but I think I should put that in context and give yes. you a little bit more background. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. yeah. The please do, drawdown. please do. Yes. Okay. First, I want to start by defining the word drawdown. Mm -hmm. And so we're using the word drawdown in the context of climate. And we define it as the point in time at which concentrations of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere peaks and begins to decline on a year-to-year basis. So that's what drawdown means. And it really gets at the aim of reversing global warming. Mm -hmm. And one of the chief aims of Project Drawdown is to name the goal of Drawdown Mm -hmm. as the only goal that makes sense for humanity. So we want to establish Drawdown as a key goal for humanity and encourage action by individuals and communities, businesses, governments, everyone toward reversing global warming rather than just mitigating or slowing or stabilizing emissions.
0: There was a movie that came out recently. I think it's called Arrival. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And people are familiar with the trope, so to speak, of the aliens show up and suddenly human beings all over the planet forget their national differences and we all unite against mm-hmm. this common foe or whatever. And of course, that's all war language. But so fundamentally, there's a, a level of carbon in the atmosphere that will not allow us to continue to thrive or even survive is that true
1: well actually what it is is that the the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere carbon is one of them methane is one of them nitrous oxide when they when these rise into the atmosphere they create what's called the greenhouse effect what's known as the greenhouse effect and so having this layer of these gases Once the sun's energy comes onto the planet and is warming, once that's reflected back up off the earth, it traps these it's trap the heat is trapped within our atmosphere by greenhouse gases. Right. So that so it's it's not necessarily the carbon itself that's harmful, but it's this greenhouse effect.
0: Right. So what what Drawdown is essentially trying to sort of say in a way is we don't need aliens to show up in ships with a bunch of, you know, lasers. We've already got that one identifiable thing that we all need to unite together in order to deal with and it is those level of emissions or the results you explained it better than I did you said basically there's this peak and we want to we want to start to draw down from it so in a way you're trying to sort of maybe gain the same enthusiasm people have always had for the idea of, oh, the aliens have shown up. Instead, it's like, oh, the carbon's shown up, you know, whatever, and <laughs> and encourage us to do that thing that we do so well, which is to come together and solve a shared common ground problem.
1: That's right. Because actually carbon is really not even the enemy. It's the basis of life. We, our bodies are made up of carbon this plants that grow, all of life involves carbon, but it's a matter of getting back into balance with the Earth's natural processes that um, that keep the cycle moving in the way it was intended. That's what we're
0: aiming for. I love that. I love that. Okay, so tell us, so we have a sense of sort of how this idea got started. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about... Um, what you guys discovered in the past 10 years from question to answer.
1: Well, actually, the idea, the seed of the idea started 10 years ago, but then Project Drawdown um, got off the ground in 2014. Okay. So it's been over the course of two years that we brought together this coalition of researchers, policymakers, business leaders, activists, to research and assemble and model the best available information on solutions to global warming. So what we did was we had um, a team of 65 researchers from around the world, from 22 countries on six continents, and they created um, models for each of the solutions that are uh, featured in the book. We identified the most impactful solutions based on scientific literature um, that's available. And then from that initial search, narrowed it down to which ones had the most impact to reduce carbon emissions.
0: So that's what the numbers are, when it says number 28 up here and it says number 7 and all that.
1: Right. So we created a um, global systems model to determine mathematically and scientifically whether drawdown is possible. And then based on the research, the models showed the potential of each solution to reduce carbon dioxide or, or to sequester carbon dioxide or the carbon dioxide equivalent, so greenhouse gases in general.
0: Right, right.
1: And um, based on those re- modeling results, we did rank the solutions for their potential to
0: reduce emissions. Oh, so it's not just like these top 100 are all equally effective. There's actually like, here's really probably the number one, if you're looking for specific, the most bang for your buck, you know, the most impact for your effort, then they're actually ranked. Mm -hmm. But these are still, like these are still better than maybe some other ideas that might, might filter around below them. These are still all have value.
1: Yes, in fact, March, what's very important to remember is that we can't just do the top 10 solutions or the top 20. All of them have to be implemented and scaled in order to reach drawdown. So there's no one solution that is actually more important than the others.
0: So if I were to put this into context, we have a planet with a... Mainstream global culture slash economy that is based upon fossil fuels and certain habits around that type of a lifestyle, and we're looking at a planetary shift sideways, left, right, up down in a lot of different directions to create a way of life in the future that's going to be dramatically different but will allow life to survive on the planet.
1: That's right. We've got to do something different.
0: A lot of things different. Yes. Okay.
1: So, so now before people get overwhelmed,
0: <laughs> right, right. We
1: should re- we should recognize that every single person will not do every single solution. So there's um 80 solutions that were modeled in the and are presented in the book and there's another 20 that we call coming attractions that are on the horizon as solutions. It's a total of 100. Each person is not going to do all 100. Mm -hmm. That's just another way to get overwhelmed. So what we should recognize is that each of us is going to see what resonates with us and make our best effort to do what we can do. And it's got to spread to as many people as possible. So not just the activists. It's not going to be, we can't rely on just government officials. Mm-hmm. We each need to do our part. And if there are people that we know are in our circle of influence who don't even have awareness about solutions, then we need to talk to others and educate them about solutions because we must scale all these solutions, meaning more people have to adopt them around the world in order to make a, the difference that we need to make.
0: Right. You know, it, it always reminds me when I, um, when I look back on what we all remember from like, um, the World War Two era, it is unfortunate that oftentimes yeah. humans seem to gather together most often around conflict, but there are valuable lessons that can be learned. And I always, um because i was aware of this in the 80s and i sat around and sort of thought with that naiveness of a 17 year old child that um you know the adults were going to do something smart and wise and the the problem would be dealt with um and i sat around scratching my head and watching as instead of um seeing media encouragement or something of how to do things better, it almost seemed like there was a a dive for the bottom, like things were getting rapidly worse on purpose. And I remember so often I would say, well, wait a minute. During World War II, our government put a lot of energy into the propaganda campaign necessary to inspire Americans to be comfortable with the idea of rationing. You know, people say, it's un-American to ration. What are you talking about? You know, they rationed nylons and chocolate and gasoline and all sorts of things. And then there was the victory garden. So some people became soldiers. Some people grew food. Some women went and worked in the factories and made guns, you know, whatever. But the thing is that everyone had a sense that we were all in this together working on a common goal. Right now, do you have a sense on planet Earth of where that is might that same messaging might be coming from above and beyond the book do you have is there a because so many people in this book obviously must have the pulse of of the as you said you know the corporate world the scientific world the government world is there where out there are people coming up with the idea of, okay, let's promote this brilliant idea of everyone coming together and get the enthusiasm going?
1: I think that the idea is out there. People are working in their their circles and their communities um, and making the effort, but what we're hoping is that is to promote more collaboration around the world on implementing solutions.
0: You guys connected with um, Northwest Earth Institute, the Eco Challenge that's going on right now. I mean, some people are picking up on this a little late, but last week I was talking to David Masek. So, I mean, I went online. There's all these, there's thousands and thousands of people doing the Eco Challenge right now. Um, what's, what's your angle on that?
1: Northwest Earth Institute reached out to us, they had an existing eco-challenge, and they had the idea of incorporating more of the drawdown scenario into the eco-challenge and increasing awareness about drawdown solutions that people may not have had awareness about. So we were very eager to partner with them on the the drawdown eco-challenge. And it started on April 4th, but There's still the opportunity to join now until um, the end of the month. So I encourage anyone who wants to um, take action and actually have their actions um, measured and counted so they can see the impact um, day by day to join the Drawdown Eco Challenge.
0: Mm -hmm. Their website is amazing. Have you looked at it in the last few days? Yes, I have. I'm participating
1: and checking in daily.
0: So, which, so, so okay, so, so folks, if you go to um, NWEI.org, I I believe that is their website and you go look for the Eco Challenge, they have these, I've been promoting it all over Facebook, so I'm super excited. There's beautiful pictures that go along with like each of, I think, six categories. There's materials, there's land use. And so basically this isn't, like you said, no one's going to do everything, No one's going to do everything in this book. No one's going to do everything at the end of the Al Gore movie, you know, that scrolls past you. No one's going to be able to, it doesn't matter. I could live a perfect life starting right now and every second that I'm alive, everything I did could be perfect and it would have no actual effect on the planet just because I lived a perfect life. But if I find certain things that inspire me and I change them... And I live that way. I did the math the other day. And I even wrote a little article about it. If in my entire life, I inspire only 100 people to make one of these changes, and those 100 people inspire each of them only 100 people in their entire life, right? That's pretty easy to inspire 100 people in the 80 years we're on the planet, let's say. If you take that out only four times, that is 100 million people who may change something significant about how they live. And that can draw down.
1: Wow, March, that's really powerful. I had not thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. And um, another thing I want to encourage people is to Learn about solutions that you've never heard of. So the book Drawdown is a good source. Also, drawdown.org has a wealth of information about all of these solutions. So maybe I encourage people to maybe take a look and see if one of the things listed is something you've never heard of and Mm -hmm. read about that.
0: Yeah, maybe you've already changed all the light bulbs in your house, you know, right? <laughs> and maybe you, you all your toilet paper is recycled. You don't use paper towels anymore. You're using all the eco-friendly laundry detergent and shampoo. And I mean, like, I mean, honestly, in my life, I could get out of my car. But other than that, like, I've done a lot of this stuff. Sometimes I just feel mm-hmm. like, what else can I do? And then you're right. You flip through this book. I love this one section specifically um, on women and girls, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: If you combine two of the solutions, family planning and educating girls, those turn out to be the number one solution if they were combined. So that the impact that scaling those two solutions could have would be the most impactful thing that we could do to re- work toward reversing global warming.
0: So when we have... When people who say, okay, I've got my job, I'm commuting, I've got my kids, I'm super busy, and I'm not going to leave my job. I'm not going to stop taking that ferry from the island to Seattle, or I'm not going to whatever. But I I have friends who are involved in this really great organization in, you know, somewhere anywhere in the world that's out there helping to make sure that girls can get fully educated and they're not just you know, kicked out of school and off, you know, cutting down the trees 10 miles away to bring him home so that mom can cook dinner and right, you know, and they say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and cut my check and I'm going to support that organization. That's going to help keep those girls in school. That person is doing something that is truly valuable.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, that was something that I personally took on as, um, as a contribution, I had a friend who had been telling me about um, a girls school in um, in Kenya, and um, and they were the school was raising money to educate girls who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to attend school. And I had thought that was a great idea. Um, at some, one day I'm going to send in a donation. But then once I realized that not only was I going to help individual girls, but I was also going to contribute to reversing global warming through that donation, that's when I started to up my donations and really make a point to take that on as a solution that I could advance.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You, got, you realized it was more bang for your buck, and so you're more motivated mm-hmm. to send more bucks. That's right. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, And the bottom line on those two solutions, family planning and educating girls, is that it's slowing the growth of the human population. And that, in turn, is reducing the amount of human-generated um, emissions. Mm-hmm. So when girls have the chance to go to school and stay in school, they become empowered to have the freedom to make choices about when they want to start a family. Mm -hmm. Um, the size of their family and that's where the impact comes from
0: right mm -hmm. no go ahead
1: well another area where I saw that I could make a difference which I hadn't considered before we saw the results from um, our research was just in the in food how I use my how I what I choose to eat How much I choose to buy, where I buy it from, all of these have an impact um, on emissions. So food waste, reduced food waste is ranked number three among our solutions. So just by taking more care to eat what I buy, not buy too much, um, is making a contribution. So, and I hadn't realized that before.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, one of the nice things is, When we start to see um, there's that the concept of intersectionality right which is used in other other venues and conversations but I like to think of sort of the you know the intersecting or the connecting of the dots um, in in individuals' personal life as well it's like okay so I love my kids and I want them to have um, a, a really good life and I want them to feel like if they want to have children that it's a reasonable option that they're not going to regret bringing kids into the world because the world is falling into chaos. So I I love my kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then I want to be healthy and I want to live a long time so I can be a spry and happy little grandma running around chasing grandkids if they end up happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I want to be economically solvent and secure. So I don't want to have, you know, nine prescriptions I'm getting, at the, you know, pharmacist every single week because my body's in horrible shape because I'm eating really bad food. Okay, so those three things right there, if you link in, oh, and I want to support my local farmers because if I'm buying produce from them, it's not being shipped with fossil fuels from 500 miles away, blah, you know, and it all starts to come back in together. And if we have enough breathing room, and time or guidance from a book or a radio show or someone who comes along and points these things out to us, we start to realize my love for my kids, my desire to feel good, save money on medical bills, food tastes better, help out my community farmer, and draw down. Those things all happen by what I put on my plate in the morning.
1: Right. And you're also making another point, which is that... For none of these solutions that are listed in the book, for none of them is the um, emissions reduction or global warming is not the primary benefit of these solutions. It's usually the second, third, or fourth benefit that these solutions have. They all have an impact on human health, um, help people to save money, Um, they're more efficient, reduce waste help us have a cleaner community. They all have uh, many more benefits than just the greenhouse gas emissions
0: reduction. I love that. I love that. So it's like, okay, way down here in number nine, okay, it's going to be part of drawdown. But guess what? On the way to that benefit, boom, here's all the other ways. And it's basically like we got to look around the world and go, oh, you know, we were sold a story. We were given a narrative. We were told that this type of a life would be the best life you could have. It would feel great. It would make us happy. And if we do this, it's, it's all good. Just, just, just go do that. It's all good. And doing that usually tends to be work really hard buy a bunch of stuff, keep consuming, don't stop consuming, you know, I mean, live here and work there three hours away. Well, who on planet Earth actually thinks that's a good idea? But if it's sold to us in the right packaging, we'll go ahead and buy it. And then we end up finding ourselves unhealthy, unhappy, divorced, whatever it is. I think it's time for massive reevaluation on a planetary scale.
1: That's right. (laughs) Because solving The problems of humanity is actually the way to reverse global warming.
0: Because it's the result of the other problems. Yes, because
1: all these problems are solved along the way. Mm -hmm. Greater problems are solved as, as well as the greenhouse gas problem.
0: Right, right. All right, well, I'm going to just pause really quickly. Um, folks, if you're just joining us, my name's March Twisdale, producer and host of Prose, Poetry, and Purpose. I want to thank you for listening to Voice of Ashon right now on 101.9 FM, or perhaps you've signed up for my podcast at marchtwisdale.com, and you're listening while you're driving, biking, walking, bussing, or otherwise living your life. Either way, you're here, Crystal Chiselle is here, and I'm grateful for your presence. Thank you very much. We are talking about all sorts of cool stuff, which has come up by reviewing this book called Drawdown. And um, so some people, some, I get a lot of people actually who will catch half the show on the way to work or half the show on the way back. So if you could really quickly, again, Crystal, just remind folks of sort of what Drawdown is the book. And the concept and then we're going to go into a few other areas.
1: Okay, um, so the book Drawdown is the result of an ongoing research project called Project Drawdown where we're determining if it's possible and financially feasible to achieve drawdown within the next 30 years.
0: Right, 2050. Okay so, so at the top right of many of the pages, not all of them, because there's some beautiful photos in here. On the top right, it says ranking and results by 250. You've got a number up there. It'll talk about, because I don't, you you got to help people understand this. I understand that um, you minimize jargon and you made it really um, easy for people to understand, but I don't know what a gigaton is. So <laughs> you got like, um, it says 59.6 gigatons reduced CO2. And then on the right, it says, inappropriate to monetize a human right. So what exactly, for the person just flipping through, what is it that's supposed to be up there in those little informational corners? What are we getting there?
1: Well, what it's showing is the amount of carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide equivalent that is either um, not sent up into the atmosphere or is, brought down from the atmosphere by the solution and a gigaton is one is the equivalent of one billion metric tons of carbon dioxide a billion
0: a billion with a b like baby
1: that's right so the prefix giga means one billion so a gigaton
0: is one billion metric tons it's All kind right. of a
1: hard concept to visualize. It's not. Like and how do don't... we do
0: tonnage for gases again? So, so, I know basic science here. Just sort of catch us up here, because I'm I have these vague impressions, but I don't really understand this. So, how do they measure the the weight? And when you say CO2, it basically CO2 is being used to describe the multiple gases that contribute to the greenhouse effect. Yes. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, so how exactly does this get measured again? How can I visualize it? I'm a visual person. Help me see this.
1: I think that one visualization that's been used is that um, one gigaton is the equivalent of 400 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Okay. So that's the only visualization I know to throw out there, but it is kind of a hard um, concept to visualize because... The numbers are so big, and
0: there's not, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay, cool. It's not something we encounter in everyday life. So it says ranking and results by 2050, and this is a number seven. And it says uh, women and girls' family planning. And then it says inappropriate to monetize a human right. What does that mean? Well,
1: yeah, so for that solution, um, there's not really a way to uh, that we could calculate the Net cost or savings of that solution, but on other solutions you will see that what we've calculated um, based on our research to be the net cost to implement the solution as well as the net saving.
0: Okay, so we've got um, over page, a 30-year period, right? So on page, and this is just 30 years. So wow, so you're basically talking from 2020 to 2050 as in like hello world wake up notice this and let's get rolling by 2020 is the idea and here's what we can achieve in 30 years that's actually really nice the concept of what can we achieve in 30 years if we look at the past century there are a lot of things that were were achieved as goals over 10 years 20 years 30 years i mean it's in a way it's like you're almost um making it um it, it, it's taking away that sensation of overwhelm thousands of years you know and it's making it more like a like a holdable um object if that makes any sense at all
1: yes putting a, a boundary around it mm-hmm.
0: that's a good way to put it so so what this is saying is that um if we were to sort of follow through on this this little presented plan around bike infrastructure there's a potential for three 2.31 gigatons, okay, of reduced CO2, but also, as you said, multiple benefits along the way to the drawdown benefit, is $400.5 billion in net savings. So, right. So, so the, yeah, go ahead. The, uh, so that
1: the net savings is in comparison to what would typically be spent on transportation.
0: Oh, so for 30 years. And this is globally? Globally, yes. Yeah. Okay, so globally, 30 years, and you're going to save all that by having a bunch of people, ride, right, basically turn the food that they ate into energy and hop on a bike.
1: That's right. So what we have in the book for each solution is this: a small statement about the impact after the description of the solution. So for bike infrastructure, in 2014, 5.5% of urban trips around the world were completed by bicycle. And in some cities, bicycle mode share was over 20%. So in our modeling, we assume a rise from 5.5% to 7.5% of urban trips globally by 2050.
0: That's, that's a really small rise.
1: And that would displace 2.2 trillion passenger miles traveled by conventional modes of transportation. And that's where the we avoid the... Um, 2.3 gigatons of emissions and also where the savings comes
0: from. One of the things that I'm really starting to get, and I'm really appreciating this book more and more, is that human beings have sort of an instinct to be wary of or distrusting of the pie in the sky, um, promises that are too big to be kept, or things that are like they're so idealistic that they're impossible to achieve you know, in the back of someone's mind, they can be like, oh, well, yeah, if everyone started riding a bike, blah, 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 but that isn't going to happen. I mean, how often have we heard the term, but that isn't going to happen? That that comes up in our brains a lot. And I like that this one specific piece is saying, if we only increase by this teeny, teeny, tiny amount, look at the cumulative effects. It's more realistic, I think, in my mind to say, can we have a two percent increase than to say fifty percent you know or something and I think that's part of where people i don't know about everyone all there listening right now, but you know if you don't think it's achievable you're not going to want to even try
1: well in our modeling we've we've made certain assumptions in order to be able to even create this scenario so one of the assumptions is that there would be an optimistic but also reasonable scaling of the solutions, so adoption would increase.
0: Is there an idea that once you have that bike infrastructure in place, that you know by 2050 that maybe there would be a way to expand it further and there's the idea of then rising up to maybe 9% or maybe 11%? Is that at all involved, or are they just like, In the next thirty years, we just want to get to here.
1: Well, we have actually modeled three different scenarios. You won't see those in the book, but you would see them if you visit drawdown.org. Okay. That we show the results for three different scenarios. What's presented in Drawdown is the result. It's a global systems model, so it assumes adoption of all the solutions. Now, when we modeled each of the solutions, we made certain assumptions about their growth. Um, based on the current growth of them, the trends in growth. Mm-hmm. And so we modeled three different scenarios. So the first scenario assumes a very realistic increase in adoption of the solutions, percentages of adoption. That's what you'll see in the book drawdown. hmm we, the second scenario is what we call the drawdown scenario, and that actually achieves the goal of drawdown by 2050. That assumes a more aggressive adoption of these solutions, so use of them around the world scales more aggressively.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the
1: third scenario is an optimal optimum scenario. It's the most aggressive um, adoption of scenarios that we've assumed, and it could achieve drawdown as early as 2047.
0: So when you say achieve drawdown, define that again one more time for us?
1: Drawdown is the point in time at which greenhouse gases in the atmosphere peak and begin to decline on a year-to-year basis.
0: So we we know there's going to be an like an increase for a period of time going forward and basically they're saying we want to we want to get to that highest point actually as early as twenty fifty and see then a reversal, a dropping of the concentration levels. That's right. I have heard I think a lot of people have heard and someone recently just mentioned it to me. He said, um, and this is common belief, um we could stop doing everything that causes climate change right now, and the percentage in the atmosphere would continue to rise over something, you know, for like 100 or 200 years. There's nothing we can do to cause it to reverse in our lifetimes, is what this person just said to me. So how does that statement of belief line up with what you know?
1: Well, what we've tried to show through research and modeling is that it is possible to turn that ship around mm-hmm. by
0: 2050 and the 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 peaking of concentration and then the the consistent reduction of concentration over time that's that if you were to look at a graph right you know like line goes up and it comes mm-hmm. down if we were mm-hmm. to put behind it the line of um, temperature increase on the planet, that line would continue going up past the peak point before it would eventually drop off. Maybe that's what people are thinking. Is that true that we sort of have a couple of um, climate systems that are happening that even when we start to achieve drawdown, those systems will continue? Or is it believed that they will actually fairly quickly also correct and that we'll see a reflection in the weather systems um as drawdown is achieved i can't answer that question march <laughs> oh we don't know okay sorry <laughs> is that not addressed in the book or it just not something you personally know um
1: it's not addressed in the book because we didn't do climate modeling
0: okay, okay we're only okay, okay.
1: doing modeling of the potential effect of these solutions
0: i have this like okay you how do i say this A few minutes ago when you were in the middle of of describing something about how this collection of gathered knowledge um, is intended to really serve as a in a way as a workbook almost, not a workbook like where you're filling out things, but, but it's, it's an actionable book. This is a, a do-something-with-me book. And the first thought I had was, okay, so how many politicians have this book in their hands or maybe rather than wasting a bunch of paper because they don't have much time to read, how is it going with the presentations to um, people who are in positions of political, regulatory, power, in the world, in this country in particular as well, um, what's the interface been like between Drawdown and those folks?
1: Well, Project Drawdown itself is not, we are not lobbyists or advocates, um, but we do, the feedback that we've been getting is that people are taking up this framework and presenting it um, to their elected officials Um we have had been contacted by several local governments and um, counties who want to implement the drawdown framework into their local climate action plans.
0: Right. Um, Right. Okay.
1: So, and it's really hard for us to know the full impact that we're having because people are taking it up, embracing it and promoting it in their local areas. They're holding study groups. They're, giving talks to people in their communities. They're telling their local officials about it. They're creating art about it, exhibits about it. So there's, it's the concept has been embraced widely around the world, and that's exactly what we want, because we don't want to be the hero. We don't want to be at the top of a hierarchy telling people what they should do. We want people to embrace this and use their own brilliance to Promote it and spread it. So that's a point I want to make for just individuals as well: is that to use your own creativity. This is a workbook of sorts where it's a great opportunity to learn what humanity is already doing to solve the problem of global warming. None of these solutions are new; they all are already exist and are being practiced and adopted around the world. We don't have to wait for a silver bullet. The most comprehensive plan that we found, it was already existing. What I invite people to do is to um, dive into this work, either through the book or drawdown.org, learn about the solutions, and then use your own creativity, your own ideas to figure out what you can do. The most important thing is, that people work collaboratively. That's where we can all feel more empowered. And that's, as we touched on this earlier, March. that we have to do something different than we've always done. We have to do things in a different way. And so rather than working in silos or um, isolated as individuals, that we collaborate, reach out to others, connect our group with another group that has the same goals, that's where the magic's going to
0: happen. Well, yeah, that's where the magic's going to happen, right? In the in the new narrative, this fabulous, amazing future world that we're creating. Well, I don't know about you. Ah, forgive me. I'm not going to ask how old you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but for me, for all the folks out there who are 45 like I am or maybe a little bit older, you know, there was so much enthusiasm when you grew up watching Star Trek. And there was this sense that, you know... The, The universe was our oyster, not just the world, right? And there was so much we could achieve. Where has our enthusiasm for a brave new world, sorry, I know the book's sort of scary, but where has our enthusiasm for creating something new and different, change, sort of gone?
1: I'm not sure where it went, but we need to bring it back.
0: Yeah. And I think this book is part of bringing that back. Yes. There's some beautiful stuff in here. Thank you very much, Crystal, for joining me. So this this copy, folks, is going to be at the Vashon Bookshop next to the window under the lamp, by the comfy chair, on my little prose, poetry, and purpose display. And you can go in and sit down 20, well, okay, they're not open 24-7, but any hour that the bookshop is open, you can go by and flip through, and you may find your aha moment, your, your joy, enthusiasm, heat pumps, retrofitting, stopping the desert, temperate forests, high-speed rail, cars. There's just, there's something in here for everyone. Wouldn't you agree, Crystal?
1: There
0: it is, yes. Alrighty, so you can drop by, take a look at the book, and don't forget, this is my sort of like um, listener appreciation thank you month. There's a bunch of bookmarks there for Empowered Radio. Grab one, take it home. On the back is a number, and that is basically your prize ticket. So the first show that will air in the month of May is going to announce the three winning tickets, and you can head back to the bookshop and pick up your happy listener prize. So, Crystal, is there any last thing that you wanted to share?
1: No, I think we've covered it. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you very, very much for calling in. And that's our show, folks. My name is March Twisdale, and you've been listening to my interview with Crystal Chiselle. If you've ever thought about creating a radio show yourself, I want to recommend that you give it a try. The folks at Voice of Ashon are amazing. VOV is truly our community radio station. So if you have an idea, come on down, share it, and people here will help you.